millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I got a question for you. Oh, please, please. Why doesn't Ticket eat the box? <laughs> so I got out of that maybe because you're from Jersey. Why does the ticket eat the boss? Oh. You thought that's the way he was playing? <laughs> so is that why does the ticket eat the boss? Is that a reference to his recent DUI? <laughs> maybe <laughs> wow that was deeper than i thought then. Yeah. <laughs> wow thanks to my son for that we'll see if it eats the boss sort of piercing question wow <laughs> no i think he's getting out of it i think he got out of it he got his jeep commercial back so <laughs> dude he is the boss and he got pulled over in jersey i mean what the fuck do you know what happened to <laughs> listen the guy was riding his motorcycle in sandy hook something park ran into fans and did a shot or two of tequila with them uh. in front of the cops and then they just <laughs> pulled him over when he left and gave him all that guff so i you know i'm not a i don't know about all i'm not getting into the criminal justice element of this i'm getting into the fact that this dude was still riding his motorcycle alone in like a state park in New Jersey and doing shots of tequila with his He's the fans. boss. You I know, mean, it's not bad. Some people won't do that anymore, you know? Well, let me ask you this. So there was there a breathalyzer? Do you know? Yes, there was. And he blew oh. well under. I was going to say, and this may be the case, no disrespect to Bruce, but most A-list celebrities at that level... They toss that fucking shot right over their shoulder. I've it, witnessed it in bars. Yeah. Yes. A little, little meander. Who have? Wait. Name names. I'm not naming names. I'll tell you. I will name one name that didn't do it. Uh huh. George Clooney. Clooney took. Well, that makes sense. He came into my friend's bar, and he has like a VIP area, right? Clooney. Not only didn't go to the VIP area, he hung out in the front of the bar in the window. Really? <laughs> like, you could see him through the window. So it was uh -huh. like, yeah, he was cool. And he was there for a long time. Wow. So this is interesting. Can you name one name? Name one person over the shoulder? you saw throw a shot over the shoulder. Yeah. Over the shoulder. I need one. Wait, let me. 
Hold on. There's got to be someone you have no vested hey, interest Kath? in. Who's an A-lister that you saw throw a shot over their shoulder? <laughs> I thought he didn't. Oh, she said Clooney. I he was the one who didn't do that. Oh, no, Clooney. Oh, I got the whole story. Oh, it was Clooney who did it? Oh, I've had like, Mr. Metropolitan, George I've had like 16 years of respect wasted. (laughs) So you've had the story wrong this whole time, and Clooney? He did hang out in the window, though, because I was there. I was there. I didn't see him do the shot, but he was hanging out in the window. (laughs) Oh, not nearly as cool. Wow, okay. Fucking Clooney didn't do the shot. To think how many times I've done a shot I didn't want to do. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, just to not do that. I mean, I would never disrespect anybody for that because at some point you can't do every fucking shot that every fan is going to bring up to you. There's no way. You're also talking about something. It's like a rich person disassociation. Shots cost fucking money. Right. You know what I mean? And you're at a bar. So if you're not going to do the shot, give it to someone else. Right. That would be or, the right thing to do. Or let the drunk person do two. You know, toss away like <laughs> six bucks of someone's money. It's. I mean, in New York, 20 bucks of someone's but money. But like a true know? fan would really get a kick out of saying, oh, I did shots with Clooney. I bought him a shot at Jameson's. Yeah. But <laughs> listen, it's also presumptuous, right? What if you're a beer yeah. drinker? You know, yeah, be like, listen, I would have loved a Miller Lite, you know, instead of <laughs> whatever, just the gold schlager you just brought me. I can't me believe I got that story wrong. It's still, it's yeah. still getting Now, dude, no. I think we could because start really a smear campaign exactly against Clooney with his tequila company. He brought in a bunch of people. He bought them all shots. He stood in the front window throwing shots. Over I knew that he was in the window. I said that. And then he took them all downstairs to our little nightclub, paid for everybody. Oh, OK. Like, he was awesome. All right. Did you hear that? No, I didn't. She's backing him. He brought a bunch of people in, uh-huh. bought them all shots. Uh-huh. They stayed in the front window. Yeah, the whole time. And then after like spending an hour in the window, they went, they went downstairs to like the private club and he paid for them all to get in. Okay. I mean, that's respectful. Yeah. What happened in the private club? I always oh, wonder. Lots of things happened down there. I always wonder what happens in the secret dungeons I can't afford to go into. <laughs> Oh, you know what it was down there. We know bondage. They had like an. They had a bunch of uh, uh, babies, and it was like a like a blood bar. Right. Yeah. Right. You, Isn't you, that what happens it, down in those places? Yeah, they, do, they do baby smoothies to to stay young. Yeah, it's like a blood bar. They just have a couple like babies in hypervolic chambers with little things coming out of them. They're like, oh, yeah. have you ever had a? A shot of Honduran baby. Mm, enjoy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's what happens down there, right? <laughs> yes. You're correct. <laughs> uh, well, Noel Wells was a great guest. Oh, my God. Too much fun. Benny, you're so thoughtful to kick off Women's History Month with a woman. Ah, uh, was it? See, I didn't. I'm such a, I'm such a feminist. I didn't even know. You know, um, well, that is not why I got Noelle on. She's just a extremely funny and talented human. And we had a wonderful conversation and guest hosted by none other friend of the program, Jeff Rosenstock. Yeah. That was and get cool. this funny story about getting Jeff Rosenstock. So I asked Jeff for a lot, you know, he's the guy where I'm like, Hey, Jeff, I need something funny. Do something funny for me. You know what I mean? 
do my podcast. Like, uh, let me play drums in your band. You know, like I'm always doing this stuff. So I'm like, if I'm going to ask Jeff to do this interview, I want to, I want to butter him up a little this time, you know, and make sure <laughs> that he knows I appreciate him. So I innocuously write Jeff a text asking what his favorite fruit was. He told me mango. I'm like, cool. And then I'm like, all right, how do I get mango to someone's door in Los Angeles? So I call other friend of the program, Chris Farron. I say, Chris Farron, can I venue you some money to bring like a comical amount of mangoes to Jeff's house? Because Chris even was like, dude, you don't have to venue me. I'm like, listen, I want a humorous amount of mangoes to show up, you know, like like a really funny amount. And he's like, yeah, he's like, cool, cool. I'll figure it. And then a few days goes by. I didn't hear. I didn't want to press him. And I hit him back. And it turned out he didn't have like access to a car. His only local grocery store that he could go get the mangoes only sold whole mangoes. And Chris is very allergic to mangoes. What? (laughs) Yeah, apparently. So he can't touch them? So I sent him on like a a death errand without realizing (laughs) it, you know, like going to get these mangoes for me. And I'm like, all right, all right. I'm like, okay, backtrack. I'm like, can you get like dried mango in a bag? Is that safe? You know? And then it started getting complicated. So I'm like, all right, I got to find a way just to send Jeff mango. And then I'm looking into these websites. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. So I kind of just panicked and went on the edible arrangements website where I realized it would be easier and ordered him a little bouquet of fruits with uh, a couple chocolate dips uh, and then to boot a little piece of cheesecake for his wife and a star David balloon, you know, oh, it's beautiful. What a, what a package, you, right? To get right. You got Jeff, a, an edible, edible arrangement and saved Chris Farron's life at the same time. I know. In one fail <laughs> swoop, I saved Antarctica Vespucci. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haha. Yeah. Wow. So that was the funny part about getting Jeff on. But of course those two, uh, work on Craig of the Creek. Wonderful cartoon together we didn't talk about it probably as much as we should in this interview yeah but uh <laughs> there's just some, it out of the end some mention about the creative process both of them go through but um yeah i really enjoyed this and uh i think we should get back into it but before we do can we can we be sluts a little bit let's do it man slut it up benny so we have the Patreon. Yes, we do. Patreon.com slash going off track. Yeah, we fund this program there. Uh, you'll find on this Patreon uh, content that we cut out of the shows, extra video content, old episodes, uh, random photos of Brad from the 90s. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll have a couple scotches and, and just write some random shit on there. And then we have the Thursday night fireside chat yeah with our patrons which has been great fun good crew in there i should note that there's actually some full podcasts that you can't get uh, anywhere except on patreon like exclusive podcasts yeah and there's going to be more and more so if you're interested get on there and throw some money and we'll give you some stuff because that's how exchanges and commerce works now (laughs) speaking of exchanges and commerce if you currently go to silkcityhotsauce.com and use a promotional code GOT, you'll get a free bottle of hot sauce. Yeah. And 15% off on a bunch of other hot sauce. And we'll get a little bit of that. Nice local peppers, spicy, good, smoky. 
I like the Jonestown smoky one. It's good stuff. All organic stuff. I can even use it in my house so my wife doesn't get mad. It's good. There's one called the Badass Jew. It's fun. <laughs> That's so, my second favorite hot sauce is the Badass Jew. Of course, second favorite. <laughs> Colonial Nantucket strikes again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so if uh, if you're into hot sauce, you could do that too. And you get a couple nice deals. Do it. Do that too. All right. That was some pretty quick slutting. That wasn't too bad. I don't feel too gross. Am I allowed to say slut still? I don't even want to get into that at this yeah. point. Okay. Let's listen to the interview. It's going on What's shaking? Hi, Benny. Brad just admitted us before we started recording that he's a long time <laughs> naked sleeper. Which, you know, I know this guy I've known this guy for a while and the the onion just keeps unpeeling, you know? Layer by layer. <laughs> Uh, we got to the we got to the bottom of it though. If it's naked, you know, the bottom of it, literally, the bottom of the onion. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't really think that that's really crazy to sleep naked. Am I am I crazy to think that that sounds well, my my reason is that I need at some point in my life to not have like constricting elastic and you know like your I think your body needs to be completely free of restrictions at some point. You day. have to admit that the part where it meanders into a bit of a gray area is that when you're at other people's houses, you're also sleeping naked. And <laughs> yeah. you bring secret boxers to where <laughs> so they don't think you're sleeping naked. Uh, <laughs> valid concern. It's right. fine. I, but, you know. Sometimes unique. I make it through the night with the boxers on. But sometimes, like, you know, I just can't handle it. I kick them off. What about, how about this? And I mean, you got kids in that apartment. What happens... What if you have an emergent situation? Yeah. <laughs> what happens then? You're the guy outside with your family with the fire truck going into the apartment so, naked. So I do have a pair of underwear right by the bed, like on a chair. <laughs> do you have them hung up in a way where you can just jump right in like a superhero? <laughs> They're suspended from a loose yeah. clothespin so I can grab them on the way out the door along with my laptop. <laughs> Noel, when I was uh, writing to get in touch with you about this interview, I didn't know how to put an umlau on a letter. And yeah. I asked Tito, I was like, listen, what happens if I send her her name without an umlau? And he said pretty quickly, use the umlau. <laughs> I mean... That's very funny. I mean, I, I have a joke with my, my, one of my friends, my gal pals that, um, you could tell when somebody's at your level or like they're respectful of he, you if they, they take the time to spell your name correctly. It's true. <laughs> and, and for me with the two dots over the E, it shows that you're, you're like consciously being like, Oh, this is, you know, I, I do respond to Noelle without it, but at this point I'm like, well, it's not that hard to figure out how to do it. You could sure. just copy and paste it. So thank you. It worked. I wouldn't have, not that I wouldn't have agreed to do it if you hadn't, but I would definitely <laughs> be a lot more, uh, sus I don't know. I would be more closed off, I guess. Yeah. A little broodier. Like, yeah. I would up? just be What's like, up, asshole who barely yeah, tried. Nobody respects me. Uh, <laughs> how long have I been around? Yeah. <laughs> so tell us how to type it. Okay. Well, on, on an, an Apple or like a Mac, you can do command U and an E pops up or, you know, two dots pop up and then you can yeah. type the E. And then on um, mm. an iPhone, you can do this with any letter where you can hold 
a letter down and then a bunch of options right. come up for you to be able to put um, accents. And then on a PC, it was with the number lock locked. It would be Alt-137, I believe. Whoa. Damn, yeah, how have you known all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, look, listen, it's how you spell my name. I've just known, I need to, you know, I know, I need to know how to do it. <laughs> like, did you learn the shortcuts when you were in like high school and stuff? Typing yeah, up papers? Yeah, cool. yeah. So I think, yeah, because I originally had a PC and then, you know, you get your Mac and, um, and then it also, if you take another language, you, you learn how to do these shortcuts as well with other, um, <laughs> Tell me, cool. tell me you had an AOL Instant Messenger name with an umlaut on it. There was no umlaut on an AOL Instant Messenger <laughs> because my, my AOL Instant Messenger name was Haversack Ho. <laughs> <laughs> Which mean, what does that mean? I, you know, honestly, I think it was backpack ho is like what I meant, but I was trying to be funny because I, I always had like a bajillion books in my backpack <laughs> everywhere I would go. And in fact, I have a backpack purse now and I was just like walking around. I had a doctor's appointment earlier and I was in Beverly Hills and I just had this giant backpack purse on my back and I was like, wow, something's just never changed. I'm still a haversack ho. I love that. I am also like, you'll, you'll never get me out of backpack land. That's like, <laughs> I just feel safe, you know, knowing, yeah. is that where that scene came from in Mr. Roosevelt where you didn't let yeah. the Uber driver take your bag? Uh, yeah, I think it's that. And then also in, in the movie, she has a backpack all this, like for a, right. a good yeah. portion of it. Yes, it's exactly what it is. It's like, of all the things that you have in the world that matter, like what probably matters most is what's in your backpack. Oh, yeah. And I got one backpack stolen once at a show. And I had the only things that I lost were two patches, uh, about 400 photocopied flyers and a giant bottle of <laughs> jupe cologne. So oh, no. that's where I was at in those days. I was raised by a woman, so I didn't really do well with scents. You know, I, I, I had a tough time with that. And then I just gave up. I don't even wear deodorant anymore. Oh, you think God. the person who stole your backpack handed out the flyers for you? Yeah, I think they put a little dot of jupe on each one. <laughs> you know, it's a sense memory connection. You know, those are really hard to shake. Those are the best shows. Yep. When you show up to see a local like ska band and everybody just smells terrific. <laughs> so what have, what have you been up to, Noel? How's the last, uh, you know, year or so been to you and how you, uh, how you filling up your days? Uh, great question. Well, I'll be honest that I already had sort of like a schedulous existence. I think many right. artists, uh, sort of make their own, you know, it's like a construct. You, I work from home often if I'm not like on set doing something specific. So it wasn't a huge transition for me. Um, I did have to, I, I did a lot of voiceover this past year, which has been convenient considering yeah. you don't, you don't have to leave your apartment. Um, so I had to set up like a recording situation in my closet. <laughs> So, um, I spent a lot of time in my closet. <laughs> I did get locked in my closet two weeks ago. That was like the most exciting thing that's happened to me during oh, no. this pandemic because it was actually locked, um, like no way out after I had done a, I think it was like a two and a half hour or maybe even three hour recording. Yikes. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm so glad to be done. And I like went to open the door <laughs> and it wouldn't open. And, um, fortunately my friend had cat sat for me. 
um, and had a key and was able to come and let me out from the other side. But it took him like a good 45 minutes to come get me. Um, and I'm lucky I had like my phone and my computer in the closet because otherwise I would have been <laughs> locked in my closet. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know what else it would have been. I mean, it's crazy to think about because it's like, it's like a really innocuous, scary thing to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but when, but when you live alone, it's like, oh my God, I could, would anybody yeah. know to come find me in here? Yeah. It's like the same reason, like, you know, old people wore the little buzzers, you know, when they take a shower. Just in, Great. So I'm like an old <laughs> shut-in. Yeah. So that's how I've been spending my pandemic. I'm just a shut-in um, and no one would know if I died. Thanks. Well, the upside of that story is that if you ever need to like keep a captive in your apartment, you know that you can. No. Oh, well, I rad. love this flip side. Wow. Man. I, I should think more evil more often. It, life would be a lot more like sunny, I guess. Sleeps naked and takes people captive. It's just, <laughs> it's just going and going, Brad. <laughs> so what, what do you um like? What's the stuff you're working on on a day-to-day basis and how do you like you know motivate yourself and schedule yourself through the day it's great question um i actually struggle with organization and always have so um i tend to be motivated by inspiration which if you read a lot of books on how to be productive they're like no you show up every day and you do this and you do that and i have not really mastered the art of that i tend to get something like a bug bites me and then and then I just sort of then there's no stopping me like I just mm-hmm. become obsessed with whatever I'm working on um I will say I haven't well you know it's weird because I I feel like I haven't been really productive it's been 11 months now almost 12 months I would say that I haven't been productive but when I look back at all the things that I'm doing I mean I've I've spent a lot of time it feels like it's been a study period. Like mm. this is the longest summer vacation ever or the like a really long college year because all the all the things that I've always wanted to read about or watch that I never felt like I had the time or the space to do because I was too busy doing other things and hustling, I um, have gotten, I've had the time to be able to do it. So I've watched a lot of movies, been reading books. Um, I started uh, drawing and painting and... Nice dabbling, you know, I wish I was a little bit more organized. I really do thrive with some other self-imposed structure though. Otherwise I'm just sort of like floating around. Um, It's just the nature of my creativity. Uh, But the voiceover work has to be good. Just like little structured things that you have to do every now and then that kind of keeps you grounded, right? Yes. So that's consistent. That's like a once, once or twice a week thing that I for sure show up to and it can be half a day. Um, and then I also, I mean, I, I'm working on a TV show and, um, there's like, I'm writing scripts and then we turn it in and then we get notes. And so there's been that semblance of structure, but that still is sort of free willing, free wheeling because you're dealing with other people's having to get back to you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I've, I wrote a movie script that I'm working on. Um, but I'm just not the kind of person, well, I mean, I, I don't say that forever, like, Currently, I'm not the kind of person that just just lines up the dominoes and like is knocking shit out. I think it's interesting that there is that like uh, concept out there in the universe that in order to like in order to like be a creative professional, what you have to do is sit down and treat it like work, and you sit down mm-hmm. at nine o'clock every day or whatever, and you write and you write for however many hours, and then if it's good, 
whatever, if it's bad, whatever. Um, cause I also don't work like that. And I feel like trying to put yourself into that is just like a way to make creativity less fun and less inspiring. Yeah. I think, you know, when I think about the times that I've been the most productive is when I'm just fully allowed to be exactly how I am. And then somebody can come along and be like, well, to be that kind of productive, you have to do this, this, and this, which is just somebody extrapolating out your pro- your process. But I think more artists need to be talking to each other <laughs> because <laughs> when you hear that other people just also have that sort of way of working, it, it is more normal than we realize. And the pro- the productivity container is put upon us by people that do not understand. And they're yeah. just <laughs> right. they're just trying yeah. to quantify something that they don't have any concept of. Or that we even have any concept of, I That's feel true like, too. you know, you're, yeah. I feel like you're trying to, or not you, the, the royal you, like trying to like chase that excitement, you know, which is why like when the bug bites you and you're like, oh shit, I got to work on this now. Like that's, that seems like that's an easier path, at least for me towards creativity than trying to, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Like, I do know if you have like, if you set the, you know, there is this idea of, well, you know, you have to set the the conditions to invite that to come in. Right. But sure. sometimes that literally means doing absolutely nothing for a while. And that <laughs> right. precisely is the condition that uh, gives the space for the bug to come. The bed right. bug. Don't sleep naked. <laughs> I've, look, sleep naked or not, bed bugs are coming for you. No! <laughs> Sorry. I I feel like the upside to that, for me at least, is... You know, and I don't really, I guess, I think for, for people say like I'm a drummer, you know, by profession and like, you know, I'm not sitting down and going like, okay, I need to, you know, bring myself out into these drums right now. You know, I don't really have the ability even. So (laughs) it's like, (laughs) I think a lot of, uh, what it is for me is like, uh, just developing the technical skill. And I do think there's value in that, you know, where if you don't feel like playing in my instance and you sit down for an hour and at least plug away on something, the next time you're listening to something that you're inspired and you have a great idea, then you actually know how to like technically execute it. And sure. I think to me, that's like the value in a, an everyday like sit down kind of routine is the acceptance that you might not do anything creative or worthwhile, but the idea that like just chipping away at your craft will always like eventually help, you know? Wow. So that is the, that is what I lack, right? That is, and, <laughs> and but in a way that I'm aware of and I, I feel very inspired by what you're saying because that if you, if you, it's like almost like you're paying in dividends for, I don't know. I'm just saying terms. I don't know what they no, mean. No, yeah, actually. it's like a pension. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're, you're bragging you're... about practice, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> it's we investing get... a penny a day, right? But I right. do think that there's something very, you know, we all want this instant gratification, and it is fun to chase the high when it gets you. But yeah, if you, um, you need to be prepared for when it comes. So I, I love that, and, and I think me watching, uh, like all the me like watching great movies and I watched a ton of documentaries about artists. Um, I feel like that that's also an investment too, because you, you're, you're inspired, you know, you're like kind of filling the well, but that's not a practical skill set. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess it takes all the pieces of it to be a great creator, right? Like eventually. And that's what we're all here on the planet for. That's right. <laughs> to be we a all great can't creator. be Prince, only Jeff. 
<laughs> Jeff, is, Jeff is our prince. It's true. You might be the closest oh, to shit. prince that I know. I that's interesting. <laughs> that's an interesting theory to me, Benny. It's interesting to me that you've <laughs> never seen yourself in the in the image of Prince. Huh. <laughs> well, I'm a bad guitar player. I don't have moves. Uh that's those are two big ones. Your trouble like. on the basketball court. That's not I trouble for myself on the basketball court. <laughs> and you're funky. Okay, you I'm are funky. funky okay, so one of four. Sure. And you know Prince <laughs> Prince loves ska. Do you that know is, that? I don't know if Prince loves ska. Is that yeah. true? No, I'm making it up. You know, whatever. Noel, do you like ska? I'm curious. That was pretty if you're cruel. A ska kid. Um <laughs> that uh I would say that I in um I had like a pop punk band in high school that was ska esque. Yes. Sick. And so it was ska adjacent <laughs> and all of the guys that I hung out with were very into ska. So I'm definitely very accepting of ska. What do you say? It's like I'm an ally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a ska ally. We'll take it. <laughs> what was the uh what was the band called in high school? It was originally called Potato Nation. Nice. And then that's uh, a great high school band name. It is. Oh yeah, right. Um, I didn't come up with that. And then I think we changed it. We changed it to Red Tag. And I, I might have that might have been my idea. Or I don't need to be claiming who named <laughs> these bands. But um, <laughs> uh, I wrote I wrote all the songs, and um, I didn't really know how to play guitar, but I wrote songs, and then enlisted all these cool high school guys to be my band. I thought I was going to be Avril Lavigne. <laughs> wait and didn't you end uh, up oh no you didn't i saw i saw that in uh something you played some pop stars right didn't you play like Katy perry and lady gaga and pink you mean like um when i first moved to los angeles there were there was like a lot of web content flying around like people trying to figure out right. how to do the web and i believe there was <laughs> this youtube show that was it was like kind of like the behind the album cover idea it was like it, it, but it yeah. was like a, a comedic take on how the right. album cover happened and so i played a few uh musicians acting wise in these stories how the actual album cover and they were i thought they were really fun especially considering yeah. um like the day and age and i thought they were charming i don't know if they ever came out but i enjoyed doing them they're called cover stories oh, i bam. found it yeah oh like, yeah cover stories so how do you inspire yourself to be Katy Perry? I'm a, well, I mean, I think oftentimes things come from a look, especially with this because I wasn't actually like talking. Mm. So I think it's really sort of like dressing and drag as Katy Perry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just like get the whole vibe. Um, and I think as an actor and a comedian, if I can call myself that, I, I think of myself oftentimes as a shapeshifter, like I can channel into certain uh, wavelengths. And so sure. you sort of create a whole, you know, it can start with a costume. It can start with a voice. It can start with your makeup, your hair. Um, oh, the way you move. Uh, right. So yeah, it's like sort of a whole, a whole package. So I was wondering, I mean, you have, like, as you mentioned, you have your, your hands in a lot of different avenues artistically. Like where did that start for you? Like in which outlet did you did you first really start being able to like creatively express i this 
this is so nice. This is such a nice conversation. Um, I get to just talk about myself. Wow. Um, <laughs> Podcasts uh, are lovely I feel like, in their self-indulgence. Well, is this the only time you like talk to people, Benny, is in your podcast? And then uh, that's it? I mean, I mostly hang out with kids. You know, during yeah, the pandemic and even true. though they're lovely, yeah, the uh, conversation could be a touch stilted. Sure. <laughs> um, well, I f- feel like the first thing I ever was super creative with was drawing. Like mm. I, I was a really... Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, I, okay, so you've directed a movie, you're acting, voice acting, music, and then drawing is the thing where you got started? Yeah, I mean, I... You do all the shit. I was never formally trained in drawing or like in art, but um, I spent a lot of time alone. Like I was a latchkey kid and I would draw from magazines. And I I look back at some of the things that I did in when I was like nine and 10. And it's, it's pretty incredible. Like when I look at it, I don't know how children know how to do stuff, but I, I think it, I think we're just all really primed to be capable. I think most people can, are capable of a lot of, a lot. And it's just conditioning that gets you out of this sort of normal state of creativity. Mm. But because I was alone so mm-hmm. often, that didn't really, I wasn't like totally ruined. <laughs> I was ruined <laughs> in other ways. Like, I don't know how to uh, properly express love or be loved, but, <laughs> but, but, um, for me, my creativity was never like totally fucked over. Um, so it started with illust- like drawing and, and illustration. And I, 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 uh, I did, I started doing comics and I thought I was going to do, I thought I was going to be like a comic. Like I, I wanted to do comics. So I was already, cool. I was always like doing like really comedic, uh, had comedic ideas and then I stopped doing that. I moved around a lot. So every time I got moved, I like sort of got bit by something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did theater and then I started writing music when I was in, um, like just songs. I would, I just wrote tons of songs when I was in high school and I was in band or I was in band in middle school. I was very good. I played clarinet nice. and I was the, I like was the best in the region for mm. years, which is Texas. So I don't know how many clarinetists <laughs> are, but, um, I, I also like play, I like was very good at just picking up other instruments and, so yeah, the music became like a really big love. And then I, for reasons I don't care to get into, I I put music away. It just, I had like some traumatizing things happen around it. And then I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to be on SNL. And so I went, and I went to college not thinking also I was going to be a movie director, mm. but I thought I had to do it in like a very particular order. Like I'll get on SNL and then I can start directing movies. And then I got on SNL and then didn't last. And then I was like, Oh, I'll do this next movie. And, um, and then it was, it's so funny because so much of like my coming up has been, I have like, I go for it. Right. I just go for whatever I feel like doing. And then the reality of the world or how people react to me specifically or women being creative. Like I, mm. I feel like I'm oftentimes cut off at the knees mm. and then there's this, there's this withdrawal period where I have to lick my wounds. And um, so the, the last major creative thing I did was I came out with this album called it's so nice. And it's the thing that I'm the most proud of that I've ever created because it feels the most um, mature mm. and um and now I'm just gearing up for another phase of creativity, which will hopefully be a television show and my next movie. Um, 
I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm trying to thrive. I'm trying to thrive. <laughs> the album's really good, Noel. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's really, really good. Thank you. I saw you were I when I saw you were you were shipping all those out yourself, huh? From your yes. house? Yeah, it's crazy. So I cool. can I get real about what happened with my album? Yo, Hell yeah. Get really real. Get really yes. real. Come on. Um <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, I don't I I don't know if it's like an LA music thing, music scene thing, or if I just happened to step in the wrong pool. <laughs> but um <laughs> but I like I had like a, I mean, I guess maybe I shouldn't say explicitly because I don't want to, but I just had, I just got really traumatized making music. Um, and I felt like a lot, of, it wasn't just one person, but I felt like a lot of people were, um, trying to take advantage of me, mm. which is a weird, you know, I don't want to, I don't really want to be like in a victim sort of mindset, but I was very, very shocked at how exploitative, um, it felt. And so ultimately I had to finish the album by myself. Um, and I enlisted the friend, of, uh, the help of a, of a friend from Texas to help me finish recording a couple songs like really quickly. Mm. And because I had gotten so far in the process and it's been so much of my own money just to have somebody try to like screw me over. Um, I uh. was like, I, I, I ended up, you know, I didn't have I tried to get a, man, a music manager. They also tried to do something really shady. And I was just like, dude, I got to just do this by myself and put it out there on my own sort of, you know, how do you say that? Like like DIY shit? It was like, DIY. I, I mean, it was totally <laughs> DIY, but it was also like almost like an enterprise in the sense that hmm. I had to figure out everything. Um, and I became like essentially... I did everything that I think a label would have done for that album just because I had already spent so much energy and time trying to bring these songs to life. And yeah. um, I I wish more had happened with it because I, I, I put, I mean, it meant so much to me, but um, maybe it's just the like stepping stone to like the next level. But um, yeah, I just, I, I shipped out. And you know, I, some friends helped, right? Like I packaged so much of it by myself, but I did sure. enlist a couple of friends that came and volunteered to help me. And that was really nice. And there was a lot of community around that. Um, but there were, there were like days that I was just like eight hours a day just <laughs> packaging. And, but you get like a real respect for like, these are real people that are buying my albums and I am sending you my album, which Jeff, I know you do the. Yeah, if anyone know. knows your pain yeah. here, it's Mr. Yes. Jeff. Yeah, Rosen yeah, we stuff. were. I because I saw that picture as uh, me and my wife Christine and uh, a handful of friends were like packing up records in our apartment. I was like, oh shit. Yeah, I also got a punk label too. Yeah, yep. I've literally yep, never walked into Jeff's apartment without. Like, oh, this is a shipment, like 14, you know, <laughs> new crates of something are lining the hallway. And, you know, you didn't I, have a lot. You didn't have a lot of space either. <laughs> Mostly boxes. I guess that is punk, though. Like you're saying, that's a punk way of doing things. And maybe yeah. that's just ultimately I'm just like a little yeah. punk. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think everything that you're talking about. I mean, I hate to be like the punk person who's like that's also punk you know but like you know you're talking about just not not fucking listening to a manager who wants yeah, to rip you off exactly. and then learning how to do it all yourself and oh. now you know how to do it and that wow. so you're that saying success. that i'm i'm like punk rock oh <laughs> I mean, yeah 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 you got a little cred listen and and brad was on beavis and butthead playing punk rock so <laughs> he can kind of like really <laughs> you know, he could dub thee if you'd like, you know, really wow. welcome to the club. But no, I mean, uh, if, essentially it's, to me, it's like, um, 
I've seen a lot of people go through something you've gone through and their music never came to light because of their inability to cut out the middleman or, you know, just suck it up and be like, all right, this is what I got to do to get this thing out. Like a lot of people get stuck there, you know, so credit to you for that. Did, did any of um, like that experience you had gone through making the record, like wind up in any songs? Um, yeah, actually, um, one of the songs that did get recorded within that process was, it was called Sad Girl Blues. Right. <laughs> that song's yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. And my friend, one of my friends, um, when I first sent it to him, he was like, oh, I love this song, Psycho Blues. <laughs> And I was was like, you know what's so funny is they think I'm a psycho. (laughs) So it it works either way. It could be psycho blues or sad girl blues, whatever side you're looking at it on. Um, And I kind of wish I had just done psycho blues because that would have been, you know, that would have been like a little bit more of a like, um, what's her name? Uh, Courtney Love vibe, right? (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, you know, what's her name? That's me. Yeah. That's me being like real uh, shade, you know, throwing some shade. <laughs> What's that lady's name? Uh, <laughs> she had a run. That's cool. You're see, you're staying punk, even throwing shade right now. Yeah, putting out your own records, dissing Courtney Love. Wow, I never really thought of it that way, but once now that you're saying it, yeah, I am punk. Yeah, I just throw have to your computer. Go crazy. Yeah. And I'm, the fact that you're not making like punk punk, isn't that kind of more punk? Yeah, man. I'm like subverting. Right. I'm subverting punk by making yeah. beautiful, sad songs. Oh, yeah. Um, it sucks that uh, it sucks so much, Noel, to hear that like you got out of like bad music trauma and then got back into bad music trauma. That fucking sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. Uh, but you know what? I think if I start you know, the one thing that I did learn, like, cause I was like, look, this keeps happening, which, you know, just in a, in just like a therapeutic sense, it's like happens once sucks, happens twice, huh? happens three times. You got a, you got a pattern, right? <laughs> right so, right. um, I had to like really look at it and be like, why there, there are a couple like common denominators here. One, I'm like refusing to see reality, which is like, I'm not paying attention to before I get into a situation about I'm not looking at the red flags, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, two, here was the punk rock flip of it that I realized. It was like, people wouldn't be targeting me if I didn't have something that they didn't have. Mm-hmm. Or, or they wouldn't it be targeting... It takes a long time, I feel like, to learn that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so if people... If I, I, I'm now starting to see, like, if you're repeatedly being victimized, you have a power that people are trying to get because they don't yeah. have it within themselves. And so once you're just, like, really secure in that, then you can you can gracefully duck out of situations when they start happening again. Yeah. Yeah. Indifference is really the biggest enemy in that, in that regard. Uh, Do you feel like you still have songs in you? Do you feel Uh, like you might like make, just make another record. And now that you have all these skills and you can do it yourself, you might just say, fuck it, fuck all these people. I'll record this record. I'll put it out. I know how to do it. I know I'll sell a thousand of them. I'm good. Yeah. So or however many. I know that mine was numbered out of a certain amount. Sorry. Yeah, I, I've I have not. You know, I think for a first album without any support, without even playing shows, like I didn't even get to play shows. That was the other crazy thing is mm. that I had this tour set up and the it just got 
it's just like obviously not the right whatever inner you know whatever the universe was throwing at me it was like no 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 and so yeah i feel like i did a really good job for having nobody knew knowing me from music and not playing any shows because i think once you see me perform live too it's i think i'm really good like i'm like a really that I like really thrive on stage. Um, and I've just not been able to really get a chance to like practice that as much. But, um, I have, I, I will say I have no shortage of music. I, um, am very excited about figuring out the right pieces to record again. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that when it comes or when, when the bug is formulating. So I, but I do have sure. like a backlog of so much stuff and I'm, I, I can just write sort of in, I don't know how to say it. It's like, I do have really high standards. So now that I've like sort of set this mark with this album and it was produced in such a specific way to, to release stuff that I'm doing just completely by myself will have to just be, it's like very unique project. Right. Mm, sure. And there are, but there are other songs that I've written that I want to have the same sorts of production value. So we're just going to have to get those pieces back to, together and just, you know, I feel like sometimes my, in my heart, like, I'm like, I'm like Tom Petty. <laughs> That's what I feel like. I, I, a lot of my songs like feel like, and maybe because I grew up listening to rock stations in Texas, like driving to high school, listening to, you know, like dad rock. <laughs> but, um, I feel like that's the groove I want to be in. I want to do rock and roll. I want to have a band. Um, I want to play big shows and have music that's really catchy and people love. That's awesome. So. I was wondering, as far as like your, you know, when you when I listen to some of the stuff you do for Craig of the Creek and the voiceover, you know, you have this voice that can go all these different places and you can do all these things with. And I, I was wondering, like, when you're when you're singing, are you still emulating something? Or is that like your true voice? Or are you still, you know, taking pieces that you see around and trying to kind of like incorporate it? So I, I, when I was like writing music in high school, I really do think I was affecting a voice. And part of that I didn't like. I didn't like that it didn't feel real. Mm. And it was part of the reason why I ultimately didn't pursue music because I just felt like I wanted to do something more honest. So when I started writing the music that became It's So Nice, it was after a really upsetting heartbreak sort of situation. And I just found myself singing. And as it was coming out of me, I was shocked because it was my voice and, and I found it. It was like, I literally found my real voice. Yeah. And so, um, it's here now. Like my real, the way that I sing is very rarely affected. Like I can do some performative things, but I don't ever want it to get into cheese ball territory or I don't right, want right. to, you know, I don't want it to be like the yeah. cartoon girl doing voices. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> this is my singer voice. Yeah. Here's my singer. Right. But I definitely can do that. Like I, I can, sure, I can yeah. affect all sorts of voices, but what the, th the reason why I love music so much and why I'm, it's, I now feel like it's very honest representation of who I am and I can have a level of theatricality and I can mm. get, I can play with the dynamics. I can get really soft. I can get really loud, but it's not, it's not, um, performative. Right. Yeah. Do you have any great musical impressions in your pocket? <laughs> 
I used to, I don't know if my voice can do the same things, but I used to do like, I started out doing music impressions. So it was like, I used to, I, I can't be put on the spot right now. Wait, maybe <laughs> I can. I'm trying to think like what will come out of me when I, because I used to do Shakira, Britney Spears, Jewel. Wow. It's like, I, I can't do it. I can't be put on the spot. I'd have to like go into a bathroom and see if it would come out right. <laughs> That's fine. If it comes to you in about 30 minutes, you can throw it in. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like trying to pull a jewel out of my pocket right now. And I'm like, that's, I feel like it would just be bad. You know that. what I can do? I think mm-hmm. I've, I've been, cause I've been joke doing this a little bit as I can do a Courtney Bar- Barnett impression, mm-hmm. which is right. just, you just start by just describing everything that you're seeing around you. <laughs> just like, here I am. I'm on a podcast. I'm sitting in my closet. <laughs> my clothes are saying hi. I just got back from the desert. It was really fine. It was really fine. It was really fine. You know, you just kind of riff. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's a hit. Oh, it's so good. All right. Well, I want to I want to talk about something very near and dear to my heart, okay, which is comedy films not being recognized more legitimately in the grand scale of movies. Mm. Now, I personally feel, I've brought it up before, specifically the films (laughs) Anchorman and Ghostbusters should have been at least Best Picture nominees, and they probably should have won the years they were in because of their quality. Do you also believe that comedies are a little... uh, underappreciated in like the critical world and and why i think people resent comedians and because i think that they're really good really good work like that is so elusive (laughs) Mm. that it's almost like the reward in and of itself is that you did it (laughs) no i don't know i think um, i agree i mean i love those films and i they're like for instance i'm i'm a big stan of there's something about mary i think it's it's like a perfect film and it's as good as you know any other perfect film you can like put up next to it it's just comedic and i think like an, an undeniably great film is just a great film but i don't know why there's yeah i i guess it's just not as um you know, if if comedy is like irreverent to to give it to give it awards, also would somehow like somehow undercut the irreverence, perhaps. Oh, I I feel like, and this this is kind of the case with music sometimes too. Just uh, people who write and report on these things and are on like you know whatever committee that votes for awards, like a lot of the time, want you to know that they are serious and they are well studied and they are <laughs> right. a student of craft. Yeah, And I feel like fun and comedy and anything like that can sometimes just like, you know, threaten their supposed like elitism, basically, you know? Right. Yeah, exa- exactly. I think um, if you just are having a grand old time and you're also doing something incredibly successful, uh, <laughs> it does make people a little, it's like sus, it's like suspect, you know, she's like, <laughs> What are they? Why'd she get to do that? Yeah, exactly. Because it is. But oh, here's the secret. When whenever I stumble back across it, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I got so lost. Life <laughs> is supposed to be fun, and the best things come out of you know that joyful, uh, like a very joyful approach to. I mean, maybe that's just me though. 
maybe that isn't necessarily the truth, but I don't know. I think it's whenever it's working for me, it, uh, other people seem to notice. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe, Jeff, you might have nailed it. Maybe like, maybe they don't like the fact that like comedy is just like the people's film, you know? Yeah, Everybody sure. can watch it. Everybody can understand it. You don't have to sit around making a fucking, you know, target board like a david lynch film afterwards like trying to figure out what the fuck happened like uh <laughs> yeah which shouldn't make it any less legitimate but yeah i think i think you're right it's sometimes the people yeah. who well, who gauge these things and critique these things don't create these things i feel like that's uh very often the case right yeah like so there's just this beauty and like you know the idea that uh you know a very technically crazy song is um more valuable than like an old weezer song you know which is like the most infectious thing ever like it's almost harder to make right i don't know i wonder if it just all falls back to the ska shaming of my uh <laughs> late teens and early 20s and i'm like fuck it no we're having fun <laughs> come on <laughs> do you still have checkered pants or anything like that i never had checkered pants never no, I but I had like Jenkos. I didn't right. have like good clothes. I just didn't have checkered pants. I I had a oh, uh, I had a pair of Airwalks with flames on them. Tight. That was cool. <laughs> Probably like a bowling shirt from Old Navy too. Oh, the bowling <laughs> shirt. That was always the thing with with you people. Um, <laughs> you're wearing your hardcore shows all black. Yeah, you had the bowling hardcore shirt on your knuckles. I had a champion hoodie I bought for you know, eight bucks at Lanco. Um, yeah. We both look like shit in the grand scheme of things. So, <laughs> so Noelle, I have a, I have a hypothetical question. Okay. Yeah. Say, say a big time comedy director. Let's just throw one out there. Let's like Judd Apatow or one of those people. He's listening to this podcast. Of course. Hi Judd. Hi Judd. Welcome Hi. to the program. Uh, and, <laughs> And he's like, you know what, Noelle, I'm just, what a, what a talent. Just brilliant. Here's the keys to my next production. Here's as much money as you want. Here's the keys. I'll take care of all the business stuff. What are you making? Who are you putting oh. in it? Oh, what kind of well, film I mean, are you making? I'm talking like the Lamborghini just parks in front of your house. What, what are you well, doing? Well, depends. I, I have like a list of films that are in my queue in my head. And if it was a Judd Apatow keys, like the Judd Apatow keys, I mean, I think it would need to be comedic. I have I have a movie. Yeah. But if, if it wanted to be a hypothetical movie, <laughs> let's do a hypothetical one. I don't want to just like tell you my movie idea. Okay. I, I would love it to be a period piece set in the... 60s or 70s. Fun, fun. <laughs> so there's okay. costuming. Um, people can have, you know, like shootouts, but it's like the stakes aren't like real in the way that, you know, now there's like automatic weapons and you can just get mowed down at a coffee shop, right? Sure. Um, okay. I think it would definitely be a female lead um, and it would be me. <laughs> and um, I would love to get, uh, let's see, actors that I'm just, I would love to have Adam Driver and a oh, mustache yeah. uh -huh. um, and bell bottoms <laughs> and like Hell doing yeah. like doing like a really big character like crazy character and I'm already aroused <laughs> right exactly it's kind of a horny film for sure and, um 
So we got Adam Driver. Um, I would bring Philip Seymour Hoffman's hologram into yes. it. I would just yes, like, because if it's all the money in the world, I'm sure we could figure that out. And then Are we talking um, like along came Polly, Philip Seymour Hoffman. No, we're talking like, we're talking probably Boogie. Well, not Boogie Nights. Hell you know, yeah. Like a Boogie Nights or a, let me think of my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman Happiness? Film. You know, I just watched Synecdoche, New York over that's the pandemic. Yeah, that's good. And I watched it twice. And I think that version of him, because it's like, okay. I love him as a lead. It's so twisted. <laughs> I mean, happiness is also sort of that sure. vibe. But um, okay. I thought so you were going to say Scent of a Woman. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that movie. <laughs> oh, he plays he, a little prick in it. He plays like a little, like, you know, his first few roles were like a uh, little high class, like private school prick. Oh, yeah. Uh, he does and that that's well. That's what he plays in that one, too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So let me, I'm just, let's just go through if this is like my fantasy film. So I'm in it too, right? So I'm here. Yeah. I'm probably, yeah. you know, doing drugs with Adam Driver in this. 60s, 70s heist-ish movie. Yeah, what do we got? Um, Quaaludes because of this period piece thing? <laughs> we might have loads. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Maybe it's a maybe it's sci-fi and it's like a drug nobody's uh, uh, <laughs> nobody's oh, had before. Okay. <laughs> like that, like that. We're saying this <laughs> could be anything. Spice. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> right. And it's like transmitted through backpacks, right? That's like kids with backpacks. Um, you know, basically you have to listen to all of this podcast to get all of these references to my movie, Judd Apatow. So please don't skip around. And then <laughs> hang in there. Okay, Judd. We That's definitely... usually how I listen to podcasts. Just pop around. <laughs> um, let me keep, let me keep like going through, uh, yeah. people that really, you know, I really like to see, um, like people we haven't seen in a while. Mm. Like make a let me somebody think. Like you get Rick Moranis out of retirement. <laughs> Rick Moranis. <laughs> um, I'm thinking like, um, hmm. <laughs> Give me a second. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I, I wish I I was better at coming up with people's names. You know, let's just get Diane Keaton in here. <laughs> oh please! <laughs> in this movie, oh, and then please. um, and then wow. um, <laughs> um. I'm trying to think of people like I just truly, you know, it's funny. I have all these people on a wall um, in my other room, like people that really inspire me uh-huh. that I could just look up at, but I don't have that now. And so I'm just drawing a blank. So, <laughs> you know, it's like I would like Diane Keaton and Greta Gerwig and it would be fun. And then, cool. <laughs> um, and, um, <laughs> Have we ever seen David O. Russell act? Let's just see how, like, how, like, it's like, oh, I, we'll <laughs> yeah. like, flip the script. We're just going to force, you know, it's going to be a very angry set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you just be a brutal director to David O. Russell? Yeah. No, I would try back. to heal. I know I would just do what women do is just like try to be so nice. Um, but, you know, um, <laughs> and then, um, so we get David O. Russell and, uh, uh, <laughs> Darren Aronofsky, <laughs> and um, and then why not? Let's just put Spike Jones in there, and oh, then, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I'm just trying to think of other actors that I would really like to see or have in a movie. I, you know, it's just I'm just pretty much only like, oh, and then Tony McNamara, hmm. I would love for him, the director and writer. Okay. He would get a cameo just because I, I love him so much. And Emma Stone, I love. Okay, so this is like a terrible, big, huge movie it's got that would big. do Yeah, very now well. it's sounding like one yeah. of those uh, Christmas movies. It's like movies. Ocean's Eleven. It's like, like Ocean's Eleven, yeah, yes. Yeah. It would be a 60s um, heist film where everybody just makes a, like a like a little cameo. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody can have a mustache if they would like one. Oh, thank goodness. 
Well, okay. I'm a Diane Key in a file. So, so I'm in. I'm in right Yeah, she there. would be undercover as a guy. So she would also have a mustache. Wow. <laughs> this is good. All right. I'm it's there. Good, Judd. Yeah, fun move. <laughs> Judd, hit me up after this. You know, get at me on social media. I'll, we'll put this all together. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. Um, Mr. Roosevelt, uh-huh. like, so how much of that do you feel like, was that basically feel like this basically where like you were given the keys and you just got to make the thing? It was, you know, it was a very good experience on one level, which is that I set out writing the script thinking, I'm just going to make this punk rock style, um, where I would just do it. I didn't really know how it was going to get financed. So I wrote something that I knew that I could make. Mm. with this, the mm-hmm. skill sets that I had. So that was my approach to it. And then this production company, Big Beach, um, um, Beach, this like indie version, indie subsidiary of it, which is the indie, indie version of it, Beachside produced it. And so they gave, it was, a, it was an indie film, low budget, but on a level, I just was able to do what I wanted to do. But on the f- other side of it, um, it's hard to be thrown into something sort of big and low budget because there's like a level of stress. And then there I had, it was like the biggest crew I had ever worked with, but nobody seemed to really, (laughs) not everybody was this way, but it seemed a little like people didn't want to like nobody, like nobody was taking it as seriously as I was. And Uh, that was, and I, there were days where I was just like, man, if it was just me and the DP and like a couple other people, we could be doing so much more with what, Mm with the with the means that were being provided so to me there there just felt to be like a level of rush and a level of it it wouldn't have been the way that the process would have gone if i truly had just been given the keys and and was just figuring it out on my own that being said i think i had like a a very lucky experience um and it's gonna set the tone for my next projects and and I'll, i'll know how to make better like i'll be a little bit clearer about how i want those things to go, which is part of it is to keep things a little bit tighter, tighter. I don't think you need so many people. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You don't need like a bunch of like crew members that are just sitting around doing nothing, especially when you're trying to do like intimate films, like on bigger budget things where it's a whole machine and there's like millions and millions of dollars at stake. I, I understand that, but not with what Mr. Roosevelt ultimately was. When, when you were writing it, did you have to pull back, you know, certain ideas? Uh, or like sets or something with the idea that I, I just can't execute it yet. Like I won't have the tools to execute it. I essentially was like, I will write things that I know I can figure out how to do. Right, right. So I think with my next films, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put that cap on myself because I realize, well, if you're only expecting that you're going to be able to do things you only know how to do, how are you going to be able to grow past that? Mm. So my next film is much cre- like, it's not crazier. It's just much more ambitious. And um, it's going to take very specific production company, I think, to really trust me and letting me figure out how to do those things and, and, and giving the keys to me as a creative and also trusting. And then also like trusting that I know how to like enlist people to help and then also mm-hmm. helping and also facilitating that. I mean, there's just, right. I have a, I think I have like a 60s aesthetic on how to make things, which is mm. like, we just House, do it yeah. and yeah. we, we invent it. We figure out how to do it. Um, it's just, um, you have to dream bigger though, I think to get to that point. 
Yeah, but then you make something cooler, right? Yeah. Like you're talking about like Mr. Roosevelt. Uh, I don't know. You mentioned that being an intimate film, and I feel like a lot of your uh, performances uh, that I've seen like reach this level of honesty. Yeah. That is kind of that's always surprising because it's always really funny. Um, it happens <laughs> a lot on Craig of the Creek. Uh, where like your scenes of just like, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> but then also like that opening scene in Mr. Roosevelt is so funny and so yeah. like crushing too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a scene in uh, Master of None in the second season, that one scene on the street is like, it's hard to really articulate like how honest and truthful and brutal and funny that moment is. Um, I'm wondering like, is that something that you go in that you like go into even something like Craig the Creek or uh, the Star Trek Lower Decks, right? Yeah. Um, and go in and be like, all right, I'm gonna fuck the, I'm gonna fuck people up with my performance here. <laughs> like, is that something you're trying to do, or is that just happening? Oh, I think that must just be happening. I mean, here's what I'll say. Um, yeah, I took an acting class when I first moved to LA. You know, I used to not be able to do that. I used to always do too much. Because I was trying so hard and um, I had this acting teacher who his mantra was, you are enough. And I didn't really trust him or believe him in that. But then one day he uh, had assigned me this scene and then I came in to do it. And I was like, I think this person's supposed to be like this, but you keep saying I am enough what do you do? I just do it like me. And he was like, just do it and see what happens. Mm. And I got on stage and I just did it as myself. And I, it was the craziest thing that ever happened because I, I've, I've not experienced this since, which is like, I, I almost had like an out of body experience where my body was just doing things. And there, it was a comedic scene, but there was a part where the person was supposed to cry and her crying was over something so stupid and I'd never, I never, I had never known how that was going to happen. And then when I got to that that part, tears just shot out of my eyes. Wow. And the person I was doing the scene with was like, "What is happening?" Because it was, <laughs> it was like almost like a, it was like something overcame me, and it was so mm. funny. Like I was just like, "Everything's happening exactly how it's supposed to be happening." So I realized from that point on, like, honesty is what we love in any great greatness right like being on I, I, not that i realize that i just realize that it's much easier actually it's easier mm -hmm. to be honest mm -hmm. and act good acting is really being in as truthful as possible and that's it it's really simple i think everybody could be a good actor <laughs> um, because all it takes is you just being really honest about who you are and what the circumstances are you're in so um i really appreciate these said nice things about my performances I don't, I truly try not to go in with much plan. Um, I do prepare like the lines when I need to and, you know, needing to know the situation. You learn but, the lines. <laughs> you know, I try to do that, but sometimes just that showing up. Pro. It's hard. I mean, I'm not the, it's not easy for me to memorize lines for no, some reason. It's probably so hard. <laughs> it's really hard, especially yeah. if you didn't write it too. And then you have to like uh, really right. get into the situation. But, um, so that would be my advice is and something I hope could inspire people is like, truly like showing up is half the job and like not trying too hard and being honest with where you're at and what you're capable of. So yeah, you can always dig deeper and find some other level of honesty within yourself if you're playing a character. 
Um, cause there's like a version where it could be very superficial or you could get super real, but, um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what you're seeing. I don't try to control You find anything. a good balance. Yeah, there's it's a good balance. Good yeah. Balance. You just but made could... me cry this morning. Did I? Yeah. I was, I was rewatching some scenes in Mr. Roosevelt and I caught that moment with you and, uh, Jen in the bathroom. Um, oh yeah. And it's just such a lovely scene, honestly. Like, I, I don't know. I'm always touched in a movie when someone does something that you hope someone in real life would do, you know? <laughs> and like that, you know, that Jen character coming in and the way she played it and stuff like that. You're just like, you know what? I wish if I was in that kind of scenario, someone like that came along and it's really nice, you know? And yeah. But, but I, I really enjoyed that scene and it did give me a, a, a tear this morning. Good. Um, oh, and I'm glad you, re- I mean, it's nice to hear it. I, I forget what's in my movies. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah, I love that scene. I love yeah. Jen. I, she's my favorite character. And, um, it was also just in case anybody ever cares, but she was based on a girl that I knew in Austin who, uh, died young, oh, but shit. she was, she oh. was that, not to be a bummer, but she was that person. Like you yeah. came to town and she was this angel who just showed up like got everybody's spirits up was yeah. just such a be- was a, such a beautiful human and i feel so indebted to her That's and awesome. i yeah so that that character was based on her well, i think it it uh crossed over perfectly for for what you were trying to express well yeah. speaking of going back home i went and fished up some fun facts about san antonio <laughs> okay now i okay. want to see if you know some of these just cuz they're fun Okay. Did you know that Gatorade was invented by San Antonio native Robert Cade? No. Okay, but so you- I will say that I was on a jump roping team in second and third grade, uh-huh. and I drank so much Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe, what's his name? It was sponsored, Robert, I don't know. Yeah, maybe Robert was like, listen, here's a couple cases, kids. Um, <laughs> did you happen to go to Lane Year High School? No. You didn't. Do you know of this school? No. Okay. Well, apparently it holds the world record for the most tamales ever made. In December 2011, there were 17,130 tamales made at this high school in San Antonio, beating the previous record of 13,000 tamales. I don't know who's doing this. Now, this one you have to have seen. The Alamo City holds Guinness Book of World Record for the tallest cowboy boot sculpture? Yes, yes. I used to drive by that as a kid all the time. The North Star Mall? Yep. Uh, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I just, I got a little oh. clumped. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, no, so I, I uh, literally, we, we would drive by that. And I used to, you know the story, like the old woman in the shoe? Mm-hmm. So I used to, I guess, based on that story, I used to fantasize about living in the boots. Oh. And I would just be like, gosh, if I could just escape my family, <laughs> I could go live in the cowboy boots. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> yes, or, or tragic. I was always like, where would I put the door or would I have to climb up to the top and, and like put a ladder and like go yeah. down to the bottom? <laughs> I still do that. Every once in a while, I'll look in like some weird apartment somewhere and I'll be like, you know what? Whenever I decide to like unplug from life and then do drugs till I die, it's going to be in that apartment. And I'm going to be oh, really wow. in someone else's apartment. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, it won't be theirs by the time I get there, Jeff. 
<laughs> so is this like a is this like a sleep naked adjacent idea? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have a feeling mine's a little more sardonic and could actually happen if I didn't keep myself in line. <laughs> oh <laughs> wow, just, wow, wow! Yeah, he just sleeps naked. Cause he's like, cause he, you know, he was like one of those New York punks in like the nineties who wore like blazers and leather pants. So it makes sense. Um, I, I and these things, I'm are- picturing this New York nineties punk with leather pants and a blazer drinking a fruitopia. Didn't happen. No. Wait, tell him about the wristbands though. I did have some silver pants though, Benny. Oh, okay. Well, you were like a space punk. Next Patreon video, I'd like you to wear those. (laughs) So apparently the boots are 35 feet tall, weigh more than 10,000 pounds, and were created by an artist named Bob Daddy-O Wade. (laughs) Daddy-O! So you owe your your, uh, childhood escape fantasy to someone named (laughs) Daddy-O. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Wade. Thanks, Daddy. Are they bronze? (laughs) Uh, are they bronze boots? They're like like a bronze sculpture. I don't know what they're made of because they were painted like boots. So I, I'm not sure oh. how they were. What the they were not bronze though. Okay. So and then the last one here is I read it's one of the most haunted places in the U.S. Yeah. Have you I, ever had a, a ghost encounter? Not in San Antonio, but my um, my stepdad when. He first married my mom. He had basically just moved out of a haunted apartment complex. <laughs> and their stories were super, his stories were super intense. And it was also right around the time that Fox had these shows called sightings, you know, like oh, ghosts. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, ghost stories were very much alive when I, like in my psyche, when I lived in San Antonio and, um, in this place. And then I also lived in this suburb outside of San Antonio. But yeah, I love, I, I believe in ghosts in the sense that I, I think that I don't know if it's like a dimensional thing or if it's just like energies trapped. But um, my stepdad had crazy stories. Like he, you got to tell us one of his stories. Yeah. His stories. So he lived with this wife. He lived with his wife who, um, and they lived in this apartment. And when they first moved in, he walked outside of the the apartment and like just standing there was this woman in like an old dress. Like and she was like a young woman, kind of had her hair like a doll. And he said something, and it was, oh, it was a, a woman and her daughter, and they were, like, very strange. And he said something to them, and he turned to, like, call his friend to say, hey, look at these women, because <laughs> I think they were dressed weird. And then he looked back, and they were gone. And that was the first, that was the first version. And then within the apartment, their cabinets would just open and close. Like, so they would shut the cabinets, and then the cabinets would open back up. And then, like, objects would get moved around, and then... um this they they started seeing the girl in the apartment like the wife saw the girl one of the kids saw the girls the girl mm. and then one night they were in bed and um the girl they assumed got on the bed and started jumping up and down on the bed ah. so they were in bed while their bed was like going up and down and wow. then they eventually they, uh, exactly <laughs> and then they no. eventually found out that the apartment complexes were built on like an old mor- like on the grounds of an old mortuary so that was that a lot of people were like there was just a lot of ghosts in that <laughs> that apartment complex jeez wow. yeah so that was that that was his story are you like mentally prepared to see your own ghost like i think sometimes <laughs> about like like i'm in my house and i hear something weird and i'm like oh wait i'm scared i'm like wait don't be scared like be open, like <laughs> like if you're gonna see a ghost, like get into it. Are you like <laughs> yeah, mentally, be ready. Are you like mentally prepared to see one and like 
not be scared and like try to talk to one if you could? Oh, it's actually crazy. Okay, so I I forgot. Well, I lived in another town called Victoria, Texas, and we we um lived in this house, and my mom kept seeing a man walking down the hallway. My mom was like, my mom was more sensitive to ghost activity, I suppose. Like she was always feeling things and she would have dreams about dying in a car accident and then open up the newspaper and there was a the woman she had been, that vibe. And so we lived in this house where (laughs) there was a ghost that she kept seeing and walking down the hallway. And I lived, and then um, in my bedroom, I never saw the ghost inside the house, but one of our cats would come into my room and sit on the bed and just hiss at the wall. (laughs) And then one day, me and my mom were together. So I don't know if I saw it because we were together, but um, we we opened up the garage and we we walked in and I saw the man. And I screamed and I ran. And my mom also ran. And then when I came back, my mom was like kind of pissed off that I had, she was like, and then she was like, there's nothing there. Cause I think she was mad that I left her with the ghost. <laughs> um, but so you she's failed. like pretty pissed off being like, you pussy, you ran. <laughs> and I was like no. very, I was very young. I was like 11, 12. I'm like sure. not sure what I'm supposed to do when I see yeah. a scary stranger man. Um, <laughs> That being said, since then I have, I've only ever experienced one other ghost situation and it was in the apartment that I'm in now. And, um, I was just having like, sort of like having, it felt like something was trying to like fuck with me on a different level. Like it wasn't really manifesting in like cabinets opening, but it just felt like there was some kind of energy that was screwing with me Mm. and I was getting very upset and very hysterical. And, um, one day I walked, I woke up early to go do this appointment and this painting that I had on the wall that I had told people remind, I was like, oh, it's like me in a past life sort of vibe. So I like always would joke that the painting was me. The painting was ripped out of the wall and like face down, like plaster around it. And it it looked so violent the way that it had been. It wasn't an accident is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't like someone going, fuck you, this is me, not you. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Like it felt very specific. And Whoa. I was so scared and like truly like was about to just lose my mind. And then I was like, wait a second. It wants me to be afraid. What if I just am not? Right. What would I do? And then the then the this like the intuition in my head was like, just hang the painting back up. Right. So I just went and hung it back up and it never bothered me ever again. Huh. So maybe it wasn't wow. a Dorian, Dorian Gray situation. Seemed like it. It seems like it was more of a, like an entity. It was like in my living room vibe. Yeah. And maybe it was just, I don't know. I was like in a very specific state. So I don't know if like it had like kind of glommed on me. And it, Oh, and you know what? It wasn't just in my apartment. That's the crazier thing. It was oh. following me around and sort of fucking with things. Oh my no God, shit. this is so, this Whoa. is true. So <laughs> this great, and I, I, and I became aware of it because it would just, it just happened. And I, anytime anything like really fun was happening for me, it would like try to screw with it. Whoa. I think it's gone now that I think about it. But for instance, how did it sabotage you? Yeah. I was, for instance, um, so it was like just always trying to scare me and the way that I would deal with it is laughing because there's like, because it wants you to be afraid. But right. um, the screening of Mr. Roosevelt um, <laughs> was at South by Southwest. It premiered at Paramount. We had a 35 millimeter print and we tested it and it was going great. Like it went great in the test screening. And then during the actual, um, <laughs> the actual premiere of my film, 
the projector broke three times. Whoa. Three times. And no. I knew it was the energy. So I was like really prepared. But every but my like producer was super angry because he was like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah. no, 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 we got to laugh because it's so yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, it's don't so piss funny. off the spirit, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like it wants me to be whatever this thing is. It wants me to be to to hide. It wants me to be scared. And ultimately, I laughed about it. I made jokes. It, it ended up working out great because I ended up winning the audience award at South by Southwest. And I can't. Right. I imagine like part of it was the way that I handled that situation because it was oh, okay. so. Because like I was just making jokes and everybody was laughing with me. So I'm not. Or maybe the movie's good too. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Did you tell your producers it was a ghost? Well. You know, how do you say that without people like being scared of you, right? Like, or I just, I just. The movie's done though. It's kind of funny. I just think it's <laughs> like, I think there will be throughout life, it's sort of the way that things can go, which is that, like, not that I totally subscribe to this right now, but when I was like four or five years ago, I felt this way, which is that there were things that were trying to. To, there are things that try to stop goodness and effectively the energy is only as powerful as you give your attention to it so mm -hmm. if you aren't afraid or you are able to laugh at it it really doesn't have much traction mm -hmm. um so i think it's more just like a lesson that anybody can learn for for life like even if you can't sure. attribute it to a poltergeist or whatever it's <laughs> <laughs> like kind of screwing with you i think it's just um like if there's like a troubling situation that keeps appearing, it's sort of an energy that you have to uh, figure out why it's trying I, to I, fuck with you. <laughs> I would argue that would be a helpful way to approach these chaotic times we're living in. Yeah. Baby. yeah. You know? I get the sense you freaked out Jeff a little. Did I? What? <laughs> no, I'm just listening to ghost stories. Also. Okay. Two things. One, no ghosts in my life. And two, are you gonna like when all this like create creative shit's done? Are you gonna be a medium or what? Yeah. No, 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 no. I went through. Come on. I please. went through that experience a little bit. Like, so that's what I'm saying. Several years ago, it was really intense. Um, okay. I, I'm not. I don't want to devote my life to that. It doesn't seem to be. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be. I'd rather work with like lightness and right. sort of be mm -hmm. a messenger through the work that I do rather than um, helping people navigate like uh, like things you can't perceive. I mean, look, I... I seems sometimes wise. I, seems yeah, wise. sometimes I feel like I am often in like a, a witness to very chaotic situations hmm. <laughs> where I, I was just thinking about this this weekend where... I'm never like really the center of d does that, like sh crazy things, but I happen to often be there when things are happening. And the best way I could describe it is is uh, something ha something has to hold that balance. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like something has sure. to sort of be the the like to keep it from going over. Mm. And so sometimes I'll like one one of the things I love about whatever I whatever I can do is. People will often tell me stressful things that are happening to them or like bad friendships or, or falling outs that they've had with people and they'll like sort of tell it to me. And then within, and I'll be with them the next time that they run into this person. And it's like kind of holding space for that, that, that situation to resolve itself in a positive mm. way. And that's how, that's happened multiple times. And I love that because then it's like, it's like, ah, oh, you can let that go. That was a peaceful, 
sort of conclusion to the situation. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You're, wow. You're unintentionally with these people the next time. Yeah, they, and, it, it's beca- and it became wow. it became so often that like one time this this guy that I knew <laughs> told me this story about this this woman who was his ex-wife and he hadn't seen his ex-wife in like eight years. And we were in New York and when he was telling me this and I was like, "When's the la- where does she live? And he was like, she's in New York. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to see her. And then <laughs> 12 hours later, it was like not even... Because we had like a whole weekend that we were going to hang out. 12 hours later, I accidentally take us down to the wrong subway platform. And Uh the doors of the train open. And he just like, his eyes went wide and this woman walked out. And he goes, that's my ex-wife. And I was like, see? And, and, And I was able to like see her dynamic and his dynamic. And I was like, you're so fine. Like you're so, you can put this behind you. And that one was like the coolest one because I was like, oh, we're going to see her. And then it just happened like that. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. yeah but right. it doesn't, it hasn't been happening so much lately. So maybe it was just like a period of time. Huh. That's wild. All right. I want to yeah. shift a little bit here because Noelle, I need your help as a professional. <laughs> oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> now, Jeff and Brad, I would like you to please help as well. If you can, you're funny, funny people. Sure. So hey. I was telling my son, who's only five today that I was going to interview someone who does comedy, explained what comedy was. And he had a bit of a joke. Explained comedy. He had a bit of a joke for us, but it's missing a punchline. Okay? He doesn't (laughs) fully get the concept. So I want to play you his joke and see if we can come up with something here. Brad, can you help me out? Why does it ticket eat the bus? (laughs) Why does the what? Why does the the chicken eat the bus? Why does the chicken eat the bus? Yeah. Listen, I I mean, I told the kid, like, it's not great, you know? But he just, he really insisted, you know? Hmm. Let me, you know, I'm really, like, you know how the New Yorker comics, like, you can put a caption? <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, I, I've just never, um, I've never even once thought of a good one. <laughs> not even close to one, so... <laughs> Why did the chicken eat the bus? Let's see. Let's ask our, let's just see. Let's clear the, let's see if an answer will arise. Does, uh, do chickens honk? Is there something there? Bus honking, chicken honking? Oh, uh, yeah. Honk, honk, I'm a chicken. Is that something? Anything at play with like a giant chicken or a miniature bus? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, cause he wanted to stop. <laughs> but I don't know. That's so dumb. No, I'm it's something. Something. It's, Stop. it's a five-year-old. It's okay. It's a five-year-old joke. He yeah. wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to. Like he's like. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's joke. perfect. I was going to be shocked so, if yeah. someone came up with everything. So that's really <laughs> impressive. So I think he was just asking you, Benny. Yeah. yeah well, he's like I saw something really troubling. Yeah. More and you're the, laughing at him. He's like, oh, man. Like, oh, I'll never try to be funny Everyone again. Everyone laughs at me. <laughs> I just ruined it for him. All right. I <laughs> saved this question for last because I didn't know if it would annoy you or not. Um, <laughs> do you have a funny Lauren Michaels story? Like everybody I ever see interviews who did SNL and stuff has some like quirky like Lauren Michaels story. Do you have one? I do not have a quirky Lauren Michael story. I didn't really get to know him. The way that the show was set up, if you were a featured player, they made you sit 
like at after parties, they made you sit in like another room. <laughs> Whoa, really? It's just so. It was just so funny. It was like there's. Uh, it was like it was like a mob, a mob situation where yeah. there's like the people around the table that are you know allowed at the table, and then there right. are the people. Um, like you weren't so, made yet. Yeah, and, and I I found that like really con- confusing because I was like, am I supposed to feel bad about myself? <laughs> like it was just very strange. Where I was like, uh-huh. I. I don't know if they're trying to make me feel bad. And um, I think that on a level, some people definitely were. Wow. <laughs> um, but a crazy story, like for for me, um, I didn't really like to, I, I just wasn't really engaging in that culture. Like I just, it confused me. But the, how's, how about this story? Um, Lauren Michaels would often tell the featured players like, Keenan Thompson is so f- is so funny that he can get a laugh out of one line, and then that is the level that you should be operating at. Okay, which is sort of like reverse engineering. Like you're now putting the onus on like, okay, if you have one, like it's that goes back to <laughs> oh, right, goes right. back to you trying so hard. So I'm gonna give yeah. you that. yeah. It's like so so. But here's the story. So you know now I have it in my head that it's like if sometimes I only would have one line in an episode, and so. I translated it like, I gotta get a laugh, even if the line was like exposition, right? And it's just, you're just not being set up correctly for right. anything. Like, <laughs> thank God I took an acting class after that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so crazy. So, um, so I had one line in a cold open and it was exposition and I was going to ask the host a question and it should have been the easiest thing in the world. And the camera cut to me. And there is a cue card right in front of me. <laughs> like I'm looking at a cue card with my one line written on it. And I know the one line and it should be super simple because I put so much pressure on myself with this one line. I forgot the line <laughs> and I forgot how to read. Whoa. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't do anything for like what felt like an eternity. And then finally I just like spit the line out. Like I came to and... um it was like the scariest thing that has ever happened to me because I was on uh, live television. I had one uh, line. It's like stage fright, essentially, right? Yeah, you yeah. you like literally freeze. <laughs> yeah. So that's the funny story, which is that um, uh, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> crazy things can happen when you are not, when when you're like, you misinterpret right. sort of advice, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, well, that... Yeah, I, it also seems like yeah. you were in a bad, like hierarchical power dynamic over there that doesn't like vibe with your positive energy. I think that that's definitely accurate. I think that I would definitely know how to handle it now, which is not engaging and just being cool. Like, you know, just like chill about it. But I, I really wanted to be on that show. So, you know, you just do, I got, yeah, exactly. So I I was like, Oh my God, I guess I got to do this. So all the things that made me great just kind of got really bent out of shape. Uh, that's crazy. What's your opinion on the people who break character? Do you think it's charming? I or is think, it just bad? I, I think... Looking at you, Jimmy Fallon. I'm I the know, one who said I think, it. I said it, not you. I, okay. I think... I think as a person that laughs a lot, I like laugh a lot. <laughs> so I think... Um, I think... If you're in a safe space, it's delightful. Mm. I do think it can become a crutch, perhaps. Like, I think, like, you're not actually taking 
your craft seriously or it's now right. become like this easy thing that you know it's like fun when you aren't doing your job well i don't know <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah but i don't know i don't really have an opinion i guess as long as it's honest like i i, I do think sometimes kind of like in the way that standing ovations feels super canned and cheesy <laughs> right, right yeah like i think that i feel the same way when a band does an yeah, encore that they too, plan yeah. for is like precisely you're just like that sincerely was not earned and we're just going through the motions i, I think sometimes like breaking character can feel like that but i i don't have any really strong opinions it's just you know like i'm just like okay <laughs> no encores no Jeff, more encores what? it's so yeah. presumptuous i'm oh, just it's like the worst. yeah right it's the worst. yo i saw a band uh save like their most popular song for the encore and not get the encore once and then yep. they came back and they were like we could play more yeah that's the thing <laughs> you're always running the risk that's yep. funny you, you can't walk off stage thinking they're they're bringing us back. You know what the most punk thing I ever saw was I saw Violent Femmes play a really big festival and they started out their set with like their top hits. Yeah. They just got them <laughs> out of the way and gave the audience what they wanted and then just did their, you know, did a few other songs but I was like that was punk punk rock. Like Yeah. You just yeah. told the audience that they mattered more than whatever y- they might want wanted you to listen to now. I, I thought right. that was really cool. I saw Hall and Oates kind of do the reverse, which I appreciated. They played about an hour and forty five minutes of songs nobody knew, <laughs> and put like five bangers right at the end to ensure that everybody watched their whole show. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm. Yeah. Saying. That's the opposite. That's, of, I mean, like I respect that you're like trapping your audience <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Wait, I respect that yeah. i respect that. <laughs> you respect that i mean i guess it's true it's like if you really cared about me you would care about my new songs too <laughs> i mean yeah that's what it is is like you know they how many times has daryl and john played sarah's smile you know like they want to jam on something they wrote in 2007 but you know no one cares so yeah yeah i think they would care though if they kept making really great music just a thought. Oh, there you go. Shots That's fired. It. Sorry. It shade. Wow, it I'm like really shade. swinging it around today. We got everyone today. <laughs> and, and remember, um, Judd Apatow is listening right now. So you oh, yeah. Hey, Judd. Hey, um, Judd. Welcome hi, to the Judd. program the keys. again. I hope we didn't talk about any of your friends. Um, <laughs> right. um, I saw Sponge, uh, who were incidentally playing at the Brooklyn bowl uh-huh. the day that uh the prop company that i was trucking for had our company party okay and i was like who is this fucking band there's like 60 people here but they're freaking out <laughs> um and then they played uh that song plow mm-hmm. the when i wake up the dreams in great song same drum beat for four minutes a- yeah okay so they played that song last and then immediately afterwards Played that song uh, at half speed where the drummer was just hitting the cymbal on the first, like, just like, I wake up some, I made up entire song. And then they left the stage, had an encore and came back and played it again. Wow, a trifecta. (laughs) That's so cool. I love that. I've never heard that one before. The worst I've seen is when you play those radio. <laughs> and all of us were like, that's Sponge. That's who yeah, it is. Yeah. That's who's playing. Empire Records, man. Um, yeah, I've seen bands at those radio festivals. Like, they're literally bands who don't have albums yet. You know, they just right. have a few songs. And they'll literally play their hit first, like a cover 
one song they just wrote and then the hit again. And I've, I've seen a lot of bands do this and people eat it up. Like, you know, so. I think sometimes you just got to do what I, I do think that there's a balance, right? Like I, I'm starting to recognize that it's good to cater to an audience. Like sure. if, if it feeds their joy, right. Or if it feeds mm. their engagement. Um, and then once they're there with you, you're like, okay, I gotcha. <laughs> Come on. I want to show you something else. <laughs> I want to show you something cool yeah. now that I got your attention. <laughs> no, that's true. Or like you were saying before, just keep making good stuff. Yeah. Just keep making good stuff and be interesting. So people that the people that are actually showing up to see you are actually there to see you yeah. and because they're invested. Like, for instance, like I, I think about this with movies, like I, you, you know, when you love a director, you'll just show up for anything that they do, right? Mm-hmm. Even good, yeah. bad, and there's no like, show me. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're not like yelling at like Noah Baumbach, show me Squid in the Whale again. I mean, <laughs> clearly you could go listen to it again or you could go watch it again, but I'm pretty much on board until it's, until it just stops working, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I love Squid in the Whale. Like, you can't, I haven't, you know, it's like my, one of my favorite movies, but I'll, I'll show up for Marriage Story a few times, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Judd Apatow too. You know, I'll, I'll show I'll show up for funny people and um, nice. Yeah, <laughs> grease the wheels. Yeah, hey, Judd. <laughs> nice to see you again. Well, Hi. Noel, we've had you here for about an hour and a half, and I very much appreciate you doing this. Thank um, you for having me. No, it was a pleasure. Really, yeah. it's awesome. Uh, I, I've been trying to get some some um, information for people in this time. If you have any podcasts or books or movies or anything you're doing with your days that are helping you get through the pandemic and look through things a little more positively. Got anything for for some people? I'll just tell you, I've watched a couple of art documentaries a few times and I've found them very inspiring. I think watching other people's process is very soothing, Um, especially when you're not feeling motivated. Like I don't watch it and be like, why can't I do that? I I watch it and be like, wow, okay, cool. Everybody has their own way of doing things. So I watched, there's this David Hockney documentary called Hockney that I, I've watched, I think four times. (laughs) It's like become comforting just to watch, just to put David Hockney in the background. He's also such a character and so delightful. So it's really nice to see that. And I watched a bunch of Andy Warhol film or documentaries and, um, I don't know. I just think like, oh, and oh, there's, this is something I highly recommend. There is a documentary called, I think it's In Search of Chopin. Ooh. And it's just about uh, Chopin. But the people that are being interviewed about him are all these classical pianists who are incredible characters, so passionate about talking about Chopin. They all play his music and they're so invested in it. It's really, really a delightful watch. That's fun. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. Hey, cool. Jeff, you got any final words? Um, I don't know. Hope everybody's doing okay. Did you eat your edible arrangements? <laughs> uh, I did. I Well, we ate the chocolate-covered strawberries, and then I dismantled it all and put it in a takeout container, and we're eating the fruits as the time goes on. Thank you for the edible Oh, uh, No problem. I love you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I got three snack deliveries in one week because I appeared on our mutual friend Anika's uh, podcast, too, and I played on somebody's record. Wow. Uh, and this is the first time I've ever been gifted snacks. And let me tell you, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> if you're out there trying to give gifts, give snacks. They're good. You got greased up this week. <laughs> oh, and Craig of the Creek season three. Watch it. Yeah, Craig of the Creek. 
Well, yeah, we never yeah. even talked about that. I was like, am I just going to punish you with Craig of the Creek shit for a fucking hour? And I was like, I don't want to. Well, I'll, just I'll so people know, we have this connection, which is yes. you do the music for Craig of the Creek and I'm a character Kelsey on it. And it's a very wonderful show. It's a great show. Yeah, we probably should have talked about this. That's why I'll never be Dan Rather. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. It's it's weird because I'm editing uh, and mixing an episode right now. So I'm listening to your normal voice and then I'm going to bounce back in and listen to your Kelsey voice. Oh, wow. Wow. Weird. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Well, watch Crits of the Creek season three. Yeah. Well, now Judd is going to watch it. Enjoy, Judd. Yeah. Thank you, Judd. Judd uh, Judd Apatow. Fucking, come on. You'll like Craig of the Creek. Just watch it. Just watch it. And great work on all your other uh, stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, Noel. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Okay. Round three. <laughs> that was that was great. Penny, no. I got to say that was nice. It was nice to have yeah. um, a woman on. I didn't even know that she was in a band, that she had a band, that she had a record. Like, yeah. It's not necessary. Just so you know. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to be in a band to be on this show. No, you don't. And I really true. I mean, the interesting thing is, though, like you can literally pose the exact same questions if you wanted to, because you're dealing with like a very similar creative process, you know, someone who's sitting down writing a script and creating a story and someone who's sitting down and writing songs and trying to create stories. I mean, it's really just another branch of storytelling. Right. So, so the, uh, the pivots make sense. I but it's hard to pull off, right? Like, yeah, not only that, but it sounds like that's kind of how she approaches it too. Yeah, maybe, diff- maybe a little bit differently than most, like you know, TV writers and st- whatnot. Well, yeah, and I, I like that about the way she presents herself is that it's like I'm not just this, right? I'm I'm an actress, I'm a comedian, I'm a you know, I'm a musician, and I think you know, I think I read in a different interview with her that really her intention is just to create, you know, and put good creative things out into the world and whatever Mm -hmm. medium you can do. So it's pretty cool. And how many times have we seen it go bad? You know, the bacon brothers, (laughs) uh, what was, what was Keanu Reeves band dog star? It goes bad more than it goes good. Yeah. So, (laughs) so props there too. I mean, all these pivots can go really wrong for people. It seems like every direction she goes in, she's doing well. So, well, she started out in a band, so that's how, that's how she's got the cred. Yeah, she's an official Scott kid now. <laughs> I mean, if you get dubbed a punk rocker and a Scott kid by Jeff Rosenstock, that's like that's like a medieval knighting version, of, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's true, yeah, I said, but like I could, I wasn't looking at Jeff, but I know Jeff's <laughs> eyes were lighting up when Noel was talking about having boxes of records in her house and shipping them out. Cause that's like yeah. 40% of that guy's life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Is that so? Yeah, respect there. But anyway, that was great. Thanks to Noel so much for coming on. I loved it very much. Thanks to Jeff for being our trusty co-host friend of the program follow noel at 
Instagram, Noel Wells, N-O-E-L-W-E-L-L-S. On Twitter, she is real Tom Hanks with a Z. Um, follow Jeff Rosenstock at Jeff Rosenstock on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at Going Off Track. Follow Benny Horowitz at Benny Horowitz at a one for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> We're still going to get that motherfucker. <laughs> That really must be that. That irritates me when I every week when I do <laughs> the social. So I, I know it must drive you nuts. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't even know. You know what it is? I'm just curious at this point. I just want to meet the man. <laughs> like, like, like the the Jay and Silent Bob movie where they go door to door trying to beat up everyone who talks shit about them on the internet. I just want to show <laughs> up to this guy's house one day and just be like, hey. What's up, Benny Horowitz? You still tweet? You know, and just like creep him out real good? I don't have a beef with this guy. I'll be like, yo, maybe tweet every once in a while so I feel better about being number two, you know? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Well, anyway. Make use of that, that valued name. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Great guests next week. Visit the Patreon, buy some hot sauce, and I love you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.